Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. Page 1,724 in my Bible, which is, by the way, the right Bible. As a church, we're currently in a series about tension. And the series was born out of a conversation that I had with Noel Peepgrass, where he was asking me for Radiant's positions. And I told him that it would be difficult for me to give him our positions because we live between tensions. And then I said, and I'd never thought this through before, but I said to him, our position as a church is to stay in the tension. Our position is to live in the tension and not to swing to one side or the other. And then Noel said, well, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, we want to live as a church in the tension between grace and truth. Jesus Christ was full of grace and full of truth. And we know that the truth reveals and grace removes. And we want both truth and grace. And we feel like at times tempted to let go of the truth in order to reach with two hands for grace. And at times we feel um, tempted to let go of grace in order to reach for two hand, with two hands for truth. Do you understand that at times you can have grace at the expense of truth? Do you ever wonder as a Christian if you should be nice or honest? Like what would Jesus do? And we know that you can have the truth at the expense of grace. We've probably experienced that before. So our position as a church is to stay in the tension that exists between grace and truth. How will we do that? I'm not sure. That's why we're together, and we get together often to try to sort this stuff out. The one we talked about two weeks ago was the tension that exists as a, as a church between being cohesive, that is going deep with one another, and being inclusive, that we also want to reach out to others. We want to go deep with our brothers here, but we also want to reach out to others. And there can be a tension in the church as we try to be both cohesive and inclusive. There are some people that say that we should use our gathering together in order to make more disciples. And there are some that say that we should use our gathering together to make better disciples. And the truth is, is that we're going to come together And we're going to glorify Jesus. And more disciples equals more glory. And better disciples equals more glory. So as a church, we're going to live in the tension. And we're going to make more better disciples. Because it means more glory for Jesus. So our position is to live in the tension. That we want to go deep. And we want to go wide as a church. How will we do that? Still sorting that out. 
So today I want to talk about the tension that exists in our church um, as a result of believing that the gifts of the Spirit, particularly the miraculous gifts, are for the church today. We believe that things like healing and prophecy and tongues, that these are for us. That they're gifts that God gives to the church and should mark the church today. And so there is a bit of a tension between the super and the natural. And we want to stay in that tension as a church. I'll explain more as we go on. So this, this topic of the gifts of the Spirit, in particular the miraculous gifts, is a hot topic in the church. And there are basically three different stances, according to Travis. There's three different versions. There are cessationists who believe that the miraculous gifts functioned only in the early church and are not to be practiced today. The miraculous gifts functioned only in the early church and are not to be practiced today. These miraculous gifts have an exclusive link to either the apostles or the apostolic age. They were for the early days, but they've ceased, hence the name cessationists. And there's another view, which is the charismatic view, or the continuationists, who believe that supernatural gifts are, to every, are given to every generation and should be practiced today according to the limits of Scripture. And then there is a third group, which I think represents most of us, which is I don't know. I have no reason to believe that these are real. I have no reason to believe that they're not. I'm open, but cautious. And that's what I find with most people, um, is that, as Paul wrote in Corinthians, he actually encouraged the church and said, don't be ignorant, don't be unaware, don't be uninformed about these gifts. But most of us are pretty unaware, uninformed, and, and ignorant. And that's not your fault, it's mine. So I'm not putting that on you. Um, pastors everywhere have avoided this topic, and so, yeah. So, uh, we are a charismatic church. We believe that the miraculous gifts are for the church today. And what is uh, um, really frustrating for me is that today I won't get a chance to explain why we believe that. And I won't get an opportunity to explain the gifts themselves. I'm going to talk more about our ministry philosophy, which is how we do the gifts here in this church. So it's really, as, as someone teaching, really frustrating for me that I don't get to start and talk to you about why I believe that the gifts are for us today. And I don't get to explain what these gifts are. Um, I'm just going to talk about how we do the gifts but, because I felt so rotten about that, um, there are some sermons available online. We did a four-part series on the gifts of the Spirit where I get to, to talk about why we believe that they're for today and what they are and how they work. And um, for those of you who don't like to get online, I spent a lot of time burning one particular CD uh, which is available in the back. I probably burned like 40. That is really a defense. Um, 
where we where we actually um, yeah I guess it's more of a teaching where we explain why we believe what we believe so pick that up especially if you grew up in a church or maybe have come from a church that is that that taught cessationism that taught that the gifts have ceased. I would encourage you to pick that up. The other thing I'd like you to pick up, if you're interested in why we believe what we believe and what the Bible teaches regarding the gifts, I would encourage you to pick up a position paper on your way out, which is written by John Piper. John Piper is a charismatic. He's also a Baptist and a Calvinist. And um, he's written a really really good position paper on the gifts of the Spirit. So again, um, pick, pick that up on your way out if you're interested in and why we believe what we believe. How many of you... Um, how many of you here would say that this is the, the first charismatic church that you regularly have regularly attended? Thanks. Thanks for allowing yourself to be stretched. I appreciate it. Um, how many of you are here and would say, shoot, this isn't charismatic. I'll show you charismatic. (laughs) Yeah. Shoot. I once spoke in tongues for three days. Talk to me about being charismatic. Shoot, this isn't a charismatic church. Your church has greeters. My church had catchers. (laughs) Yeah. Keep going, keep going. The further I go, the worse it's going to get. We should just stop now. I've got more jokes, don't worry. What comes into your mind when I say the word charismatic? Last time we talked about this, last February, it was really interesting to hear people's stories. Some incredible glory stories. And some horror stories. And we all have judgments based on these experiences, right? Based on what we've experienced or maybe those first times that we encountered things like tongues or prophecy. We've all all got judgments now. And cessationists are what? Stoic, dull in their worship. They're critical. They don't believe the whole Bible. Help me out here. Jump in. They care about propositional truth, but their lives are void of the Spirit's power. These are the judgments, right? They believe in God, but they don't like God. They're proud and they emphasize the mind at the expense of the heart. They've got knowledge, but no affection for God. 
And then there are the charismatics, who because I'm one, I'll get to pick on maybe a little bit more. Charismatics are, first of all, they're, they're just loud. They're loud. They're emotional. They're unbiblical. They've elevated experience at the expense of truth. They're elitists. How many, of, how many of you have ever been made to feel like you're JV by somebody who is filled with the Spirit? They promise shortcuts to holiness with three easy steps. And somebody anoints your head and you're there. They uh, emphasize the gifts and not the giver. That's an awesome one. Worse than that one is that they seek God's hand and not his face, which I always thought was really funny, as if God was either a hand or a face, that you can't just seek God who has both a face and a hand. It's one or the other. They're better at splitting churches than they are at evangelism. Um, They're accomplished in spiritual one-upmanship. They're better at that than they are at humble, faithful service. These are the judgments that we have towards each other, these two camps, the cessationists and the continuationists. What do you think when you hear the word charismatic? What do you think when you hear the word cessationist? I want to say something, you know, uh, and, and that is that just because spiritual gifts have been maybe abused. Just because you've had some bad experiences doesn't mean that we get to get rid of them. Just because something's been a, the answer to something being abused in your life is not to avoid it. It's to redeem it. I... I cashed a check not too long ago, and then I went to deposit that money at another bank, and when I did, they told me that I had given them a counterfeit $100 bill. I had just gotten it from another bank, and when I went to Union Bank and tried to deposit it, they said, this is a counterfeit. And I said, are you kidding me? I was like, I just got that. They didn't believe me at all. I was like, I just got that from a bank, you know? They are like, yeah, Sure. So I said, can I have it back? And they were like, no, this immediately has to go. You know, we send these in so that, you know, I don't know what they do. Try to figure out who's counterfeiting the money. And so I said, well, how am I supposed to get my hundred bucks? I can't return to the bank with nothing and say, yesterday you gave me a fake hundred dollar bill. Can I get a new one? The bank's not going to go for that. If you don't let me leave with my $100 bill, there's no way I'm going to get my $100 back. And they said, we can't let you leave with this $100 bill. It's being sent into the Bureau of whatever. So I said, so so now I'm supposed to just walk back into the bank and say they gave me a phony $100 bill. And they were like, yeah, good luck with that. And I was like, yeah, dang. I've never had that, never had that happen before. I got a counterfeit $100 bill. But let me tell you something. 
If I saw a hundred bill, hundred dollar bill on the ground, I would still pick it up. I would not step over it. And I share that story to say to you, just because there's been the counterfeit in your life doesn't mean that the real thing doesn't exist. And the great risk is in stepping over that $100 bill, not stopping to pick it up and investigate it. Just because you've experienced something that maybe, maybe was, was fake doesn't mean that the real thing doesn't exist. This is the truth in a lot of areas here at the church. There's authority and leadership have been abused. Is the answer for bad leadership no leadership? I know that some of you came from churches where you didn't like the way that your church did giving. Is the answer to that to not give? Sex has been abused is the answer for that to not, to not do that now. Or do we use it the way God created it to be used? Do we avoid it because it's been abused or do we redeem it as a church? I'll answer that question. We redeem it. We use it the way God created it to be used. We use these gifts the way God created them to be used. There's always a bunch of controversy surrounding the gifts. Always. Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls. And there is a group of people rolling their eyes, going, this is just too much. You can read it in Acts chapter 2. Rolling their eyes, going, these guys are drunk. Settle down. This is over the top. In Acts chapter 5, actually before that, let me read a Wesley quote. John Wesley founded the, the Methodist church And in 1750, he writes in his journal, the grand reason why the miraculous gifts were so soon withdrawn was not only that faith and holiness were well nigh lost, but that dry, formal, orthodox men began even to ridicule whatever gifts they had not themselves and to decry them all as either madness or imposture. These guys are crazy. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles begin to do signs and wonders. And it says that people became fearful. And that's really the issue here is that I feel that often people have a lot of fear surrounding this subject. Fear of losing control. Fear of excess. Fear of rejection. It can be really scary to tell someone that you speak in tongues for fear of rejection. There's two different ways I I tell the story of how this church began, depending on who I'm talking to. And it usually takes me a while to feel you out. And based on who you are, I'll use words like prophecy, or I'll use words like, I had a strong impression. (laughs) From his word, of course. 
I remember the first time actually I sat down with Kurt. I didn't know Kurt, and he asked the question, hey, how did this church begin? Sorry for calling you out, Kurt. He, he asked, how did, how did this church start? And I didn't know Kurt, so I was like, well, my wife and I felt led of the Lord to start a church, and we, after consistent promptings, you know, and at a certain point, Kurt leans forward, he's like, I'm a charismatic too. And I was like, oh, I got a prophecy. And God spoke to us in dreams, you know. But it can be scary, and and you face rejection. I understand your fears. I still struggle with the same fears. Because life for us as human beings is really about looking good, staying comfortable, and being right. And doggone it, these gifts challenge every one of those things. They ask us to risk. Sometimes it's messy. It doesn't look good. And if your life is about looking good, staying comfortable, and being right, uh, these gifts can be frustrating at times. These were a controversy in Corinthians where you're at right now. This is a divided church that Paul's speaking to. This church is divided because of personal allegiance. Oh, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter, I'm of Paul. There's personal allegiance that's divided this church, and it's no different today. Oh, there's a Piper paper in the back. I love John Piper. John Piper's my guy. I hate John Piper. I'm more of a Mike Bickle person, you know? We have these personal uh, allegiance within this church as well. This Corinthian church was divided because of personal allegiance. It was also divided because of economic lines. Um, And it was also divided because of spiritual gifting. There was a tension inside their church because of spiritual gifting. Let's start reading. Because to deal with the disunity, Paul uses the body metaphor. He introduces this idea of the body and how it works together. It comes together, and not everyone plays the same part, but God's up to something bigger than that. Starting in verse 12, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I do not want you to know Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. 
All these work together, all are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. There's different gifts, but the same Spirit at work. Different gifts within the church, but the same God. Paul, in dealing with this church, because again, there was abuse in the Corinthian church. Paul, in dealing with this church, if I was dealing with this church, I would have said, sit down and shut up. No one do this anymore. This is out of control. It's causing problems. Stop this. That's not how Paul deals with the abuse. He actually prescribes something very different. He argues and he creates some earmarks for them. And he prescribes order. He prescribes edification. And he prescribes intelligibility. Those are the three things that he offers to this church that's abusing the gifts. What I found over time is that I don't think people have a problem with the gifts as much as they have a problem with the way people go about the gifts. If I can say it another way, it's that I don't think they have a problem with the knife. They have a problem with the person holding the knife. I don't think they have a problem with their gifts. They have a problem with a style of ministry that is associated with the gifts. So this is our position as a church. We are excited about the supernatural. We are totally excited about the supernatural. And we would like God to be super and you to be natural. This is the tension that we want to stay in. We don't want to ever let go of the natural in order to reach for, with two hands for the super. And we don't ever want to let go of the super. We always want to contend for the miraculous because God still moves and still works in that way. And so if we feel at times that, hey man, you're really letting go of the natural in order to reach for the super, it might be a good idea to put your hand back on the natural. Because what, we're, what we want is what Paul wanted, which was order and edification. We want the church to be built up by your gift. And we want people to understand it. But likewise, if you've got two hands on the natural and you've grown really cynical towards the miraculous, we're going to say, hey, God still moves that way. And you need to live in that tension and put one hand on the super and one hand on the natural. The super, again, is God's part. The natural will be our part. You don't need a, a super low voice. You don't need to get a, a super hair. You don't need a super suit. You leave the super up to God, and you'd be natural. Let's let, we'll let God do the extra. We'll do the ordinary, and it'll be extraordinary. You stay away from the extra side and do what you can to be ordinary as God's moving through you to touch someone. We want to be, as the vineyard termed it, naturally supernatural. 
So here's a few things that we're going to need to remember if we're going to live in the tension between the super and the natural. If we're going to be, as a, as a church, naturally supernatural. Here's a couple things uh, that you'll need to um, remember in order to live in the tension. The first thing I want you to, to uh, remember is that Jesus is our model. Jesus is our model. He's our example of what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. He's our example of what it looks like to move in the power of the Spirit. I don't care what you've seen on TV. Jesus is our model. Jesus didn't change his voice. Jesus didn't change his posture. He didn't have Matthew cue the guitar. Read your Gospels. Open them up and read them. At no point did Jesus say, I'm going to need some background music. Go ahead, Matthew. Cue the guitar. You know? There's none of It's very natural. He reveals people's sins in conversation, not from a stage. He's just having a conversation with someone. And he reveals their sins. He rarely, and I'm not even sure I would call him this, but he healed the people that were brought to him. And he healed the people that he just came in contact with as he was going about his day. Jesus is our model. The other thing that I want to share is that we move from Scripture to experience, not vice versa. Things get a little funny when you have an experience and then you turn to Scripture to validate that. We're actually wanting to start with Scripture and move from Scripture to experience. We're not trying to be charismatic here. We're trying to live out biblical Christianity. Your personal revelation from God will be measured up against Scripture, which is for us our high court and our final authority here at the church. So we move from Scripture to our experience, not from our experience to Scripture. The other thing you're going to need to know is that signs and wonders are supposed to point to Jesus. A sign points to something beyond itself. And a wonder causes us to wonder. And there were many signs and wonders going on in the New Testament church. But those signs and wonders are designed to point you to Jesus and to get you to wonder about Jesus. We don't want the sign to point to you. And we don't want people to wonder about you. I wonder how he got his hair that way. I wonder if they even grow hair like that. We're not excited about signs and wonders that point to you or your ministry. We want signs and wonders here in the church, and we want those signs and wonders to point to something beyond us and to cause you to wonder about something beyond us. The other thing that you need to remember about the gifts is that they're given to serve the body. Your gift is given to serve the body. They're not about us. It's not about you finding your calling. 
It's not about you doing what fulfills you. That's part of it. But I think things get a little bit funny when we think that the gifts are given for us to be able to self-actualize. These gifts are given for what Paul says is the common good. Edification, that the whole church would be built up. It's not necessarily about, and I say not necessarily, because there's something incredibly fulfilling about um, finding what God designed you to do and doing it. But it's not necessarily just about that. These gifts are designed to serve the church. And I know the model that we've seen often is that gifted people are served. But the truth of Scripture is that gifted people serve. And your gifts were given you, given to you in order to serve and edify the church. That's an important thing to remember if we're going to live in this tension. We can humble ourselves. And when someone gives us feedback and says, hey, that's not serving me very well. We get to go, well, my goal is not just to give a message. My goal is to serve the church with that message. And I'll work to serve. The other thing that I want to say along, along uh, those lines is that because the goal is to serve and build up the body, you'll have to serve outside of your area of gifting. Sometimes I think people love to find out what they're gifted in so it can become an excuse. No, I'm not gifted with kids. I can't serve in the kids' classroom. It's just not my gifting. I'm more into prophecy. Because we're here to serve, you will serve outside of your area of gifting. When your kids come to you and they say, hey, could I get something to eat? You don't get to say to them, I'm sorry, I don't have the gift of hospitality. You'll have to find somebody else to feed you. When someone comes up to you and says, how how can I be saved? I'm sorry, I'm not an evangelist. I'll find you one. When your kids say, Mom, teach me about Jesus. I'm sorry I don't have the spiritual gift of teaching. You'll have to find somebody else. Look, you're going to serve outside of your area of gifting. One other thing that I want you to remember in order to stay in this tension together as a church is this. That you should never confuse the gifts of the Spirit for the fruit of the Spirit. Those are two different things. And I think the problem, or, or maybe some of the abuse that we've seen through the years, has been that people are operating in the gifts of the Spirit without the fruit of the Spirit. That it's possible to prophesy without love, joy, peace, and patience. Kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. It starts, I'm real confident through the first five, and then it starts to get quieter. That's on their sense of control. <laughs> Tongues and prophecy and healing, it's not the fruit of the Spirit. They're the gifts of the Spirit. And these two things should operate together. Don't confuse them. It's possible for someone to operate in the gifts of the Spirit without any of the fruit of the Spirit. 
in their life. The last thing uh, that I want you to remember as we live in this tension together is that the gifts are gifts. The gifts are gifts. This is really difficult for us. They aren't merit badges. They aren't awards. They don't mean that you're spiritually mature. Speaking in tongues does not mean that you're spirit-filled. I think we have this way of approaching the spiritual gifts as if they're like merit badges that you earn, like patches, like that you ascend to a new level of spirituality and then you get this gift. And we need to remember as a church that gifts are gifts. They're given and bestowed by God. And they aren't earned. They aren't merit badges. They aren't awards. Now, let me say this. You should put a ton of effort into growing in that gift. Because the grace of God is not opposed to effort. The grace of God is opposed to earning You don't earn these gifts, but you can put effort into growing in this gift that God's given you. But if we think of them as the charismata, which is grace movements, these gifts are described as the movements of grace. If we think of them in that way, as gifts from God, as grace gifts, then we won't be the possessors of gifts, but we'll be channels through which God can extend grace to the people around us. Can I ask you just a couple questions? Are you willing to be used as a channel of God's grace? Do you eagerly desire spiritual gifts, as Paul would say it? Do you eagerly desire spiritual gifts? Are you flexible? Are you pliable? Are you open? I was praying uh, in my growth group with Daniel Rice, and we were praying about these tensions, and he pointed something out to me, which is this, that the only way to survive in a tension is to be flexible. To be able to be stretched. That if we're rigid, the tension is going to break us. But God's wanting to stretch us. Are you flexible? Are you willing? Are you open? We need the gifts as a church. We need different people who carry different gifts. We need people who see things differently than we do. There's some questions inside your bulletin that I would encourage you to ask over lunch or in your growth group this week. There's also, like I said, a teaching on why we believe that the gifts are for us today that I would really encourage you to listen to if you have questions. I listened to it a couple days ago. And I I rarely like listening to myself. 
And I thought, this is actually a good sermon. There's like three of them in the past seven years, so I'd encourage you to listen to that one. And then if you really want to dig in, I found this book, um, A Tremendous Health, Are, Are the Miraculous Gifts for Today? And four different people write in with their position, and then people obviously um, respond to their position. And um, yeah, it was, it was really helpful for me to get to read um, the views that other people had and to understand where people were coming from on this issue. So if you're really into it, I'd encourage you to read this. Let's pray together. In fact, would you stand with me? Holy Spirit, I just thank you for your presence here with us. And I ask that you would lead us into all truth. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal Jesus to us. And we recognize as a church body that church isn't about us being comfortable. Following you, Jesus, is not about us staying comfortable. We ask, God, that you would use us. We ask that you would, um, I, I just, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would activate gifts in people's lives. And that it would serve and build up this church. I thank you for the different people here. I thank you for this body and the tension that exists within it. And we pray for harmony. We pray for unity. As the church continues to grow and different people are coming from different places and thinking different things, we pray for unity and a harmony here in this church. We want the fruit of the Spirit here. We want the fruit of being Spirit-filled. And we want the gifts of the Spirit here at the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys, for going a little bit late today. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantvicelia.com. Until next time. find Oh, I love the flowers and trees and the smell of the grinding sea and all the beautiful things here in life I'm a pilgrim here on the side of
grave divine. 